This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... There is also a critical need to invest in livelihoods, resilience, infrastructure development, climate adaptation and durable solution to ensure those affected can recover from the ongoing crisis, adapt and thrive in the future. That's Pao's representative in Somalia on the need to help the country avoid the droughts that foster cycles of mass hunger. Details coming up. Also, Gambia says it foiled a military coup attempt. And another round of talks between Ethiopia and the Tigray is underway in Nairobi. We have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. Republic of Congo President Denis Sassou Nguasso says significant developments came out of last week's U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington. Also, the chairperson of the African Union High-Level Committee in Libya, Sassou Nguesso, has called the world's attention towards resolving the political crisis in Libya. He sat down with VOA correspondent Maria Madialo in this exclusive interview. Last week, Republic of Congo President Denis Sassungesso attended the second U.S.-Africa leaders' gathering. In an exclusive interview, he told VOA that this time around, the goals were more defined, including helping the African Union gain a greater voice at the United Nations. Je donne For example... President Biden declared that Africa is certainly going to be a member of the G20. I believe this is a clear orientation that we appreciate. Mr. Biden also declared that in the next few years, America is going to get involved with Africa, finding its right place at the Security Council of the United Nations as a permanent member. The G20 comprises the world's major industrial and emerging economies. South Africa is currently its only African member. President Joe Biden also said his administration will spend $55 billion to help African countries over the next three years. With this summit and with the African Union's agenda 2063, our eyes are fixed squarely on the future. That's also an important development, especially when the debate allowed us to highlight Africa's priorities. President Macky Sall, the African Union president, and all the other leaders emphasized Africa's priorities, whether it's related to basic infrastructure, developing the agriculture sector, digital, education, health, the energy question. The development of agriculture, the numérique, education, the health, the question of energy. 
The White House said $165 million will be used to strengthen democracy and good governance. Yet some criticized Biden for inviting leaders who have been in power for a long time. U.S. officials said all leaders in good standing with the African Union and the U.S. got an invite. La democracy democracy and good governance are a process and even today in certain countries in Europe there are challenges even here in the US we were surprised to see what happened at the Capitol on January 6th there is lots of progress in Africa now as for the leaders who have stayed in power for a long time what if that was the will of the people elections are meant to ask people to share their opinions what if the people vote in favor of stability? Some African countries have seen a recurrence of coups, and in the case of Libya, chronic conflict. Sasungesu said without peace and security, development can't be achieved. As long as we don't resolve the Libya issue, we won't see the light at the end of the tunnel in the Sahel region. So the terrorism and violent extremism in Africa, the problem related to peace in general, is an important one. As the chairperson of the AU's high-level committee on Libya, we are in the process of organizing a reconciliation forum there. Libya has had little peace since the 2011 NATO-backed uprising that ousted Muammar Gaddafi. Sasungeso has been in and out of power for over three decades. Asked if he's going to be a candidate at the next elections, he says at the moment he's trying to execute the programs he was elected for. Mariama Jalu, VOA News, Washington. Ivor Ichikowitz is the head of South Africa's Paramount Group, an arms and military equipment manufacturer. He's also the head of the Ichikowitz Foundation. Ichikowitz recently was in Washington for the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. VOA's Peter Cloti caught up with him for a wide-ranging interview and began by asking him how America can effectively compete in economically engaging Africa. It's an, been an absolute privilege to listen to a new way of engagement between the United States and Africa. I'm hearing words like partnership, which I haven't heard before in the, in the context of, uh, of trade and economic relationships between the U.S. And, and Africa. You know, we're dealing with a new Africa, and it, it sounds like the Biden administration, first of all, understands that, and second of all, is playing to that, which is very refreshing. What, what are your expectations and possible takeaways? based on what you have seen so far? I think that the, the U.S.-Africa relationship over many years has been somewhat problematic. Now, the U.S. has been very much absent in, in the African environment, and part of the reason for that is that there's this perception in the United States that Africa is uninvestable, that the continent is complex, that it's difficult, that it's corrupt, that it's uh, 
um, a highly problematic place for investment. And as a result, the U.S. has been absent. During the Trump administration, there was a realization that China had stolen the march and was way ahead of America on the African continent. And there were some kind of ham-fisted attempts to, to, to correct that, but pretty much using bullying tactics. It was approach of a, a case of the United States going to, to, to African governments and saying, if you're with the Chinese, then you're not with us. The Chinese have done a huge amount to grow and develop the continent, whether we like it or not. But they did so because the U.S. was absent. Now, the, the Biden administration seems to be realizing that. They seem to be addressing that. And they seem to be looking at investment in Africa, not just trade. And that's what we need to change the, the dynamic of the relationship, number one. And number two, to significantly increase um, the benefits for the United States in Africa and the benefits for Africa from the United States. We mustn't forget that by 2050, Africa is going to have the biggest youth population of any continent in the world. That is going to give the United States a huge consumer market. It's also going to become a very, very important labor pool for, for the next generation of industrialization. So how can America effectively and tangibly compete in economically engaging all the In the 80s, the Chinese were well behind. Mm -hmm. They were doing less than $12 billion of trade. Today, they're doing $256 billion of trade with Africa. Now, that puts America way behind the curve. But part of the secret to the success of the Chinese engagement with Africa has been an investment strategy, a strategy to build infrastructure, to, to, to grow the economies of the countries in which they're operating in. I'm hearing for the first time that kind of language coming out of the United States. And it is going to be through partnerships, through investment, and through collaborative engagement that America is going to be able to pick up and, and, and compete. It's not going to be easy, and it's going to need to be centrally government-led. One of the biggest advantages that the Chinese and the Russians have got in Africa is that their strategy is led by government. And the American government, and the White House specifically, needs to make Africa a strategic priority for the future. The American economy is going to grow based on energy transition. And all of the enablers for, the, for energy transition come out of Africa. And for that reason, this relationship today is not optional. It has to happen, and it has to happen quickly. That was Ivor Ichikowitz, uh, the South African industrialist and head of the Ichikowitz Foundation. He spoke with my colleague Peter Cloty last week on the sidelines of the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. <music> Gambia's government today said it foiled a military coup attempt against President Adama Barrow's administration yesterday. International media reported the government says the Gambian Armed Forces High Command arrested four soldiers linked to the alleged plot and is pursuing three more alleged accomplices. The West African country has seen multiple coup attempts over the past several decades. Former President Yaya Jame seized power in a coup in 1994, then survived several attempts to overthrow him before he lost an election to Baro in 2016. 
The ousting of the authoritarian Jami was viewed as a boost for democracy. However, shortly after Baro took office, eight former soldiers, led by one of Jami's former military aides, plotted to overthrow him. They have denied the charges. Officials from Ethiopia's federal government and the Tigray region are meeting in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, to discuss the next steps for a peace deal to end two years of war. Mohamed Yusuf reports from Nairobi, Kenya. Senior Ethiopian government officials and Tigray People's Liberation Front, TPLF, representatives are meeting in Kenya to discuss implementation of the November Peace Agreement signed in South Africa. The Wednesday meeting comes as the TPLF said some parts of the Tigray region are finding it difficult to access much-needed humanitarian assistance. The rebels blame the problems on the presence of Eritrean troops who entered Tigray during the war to support the Ethiopian government. Pro-Tigray media reports say a regional official, Atinkut Mezgebo, called on the Ethiopian government to address what he called Eritrean forces' attacks on civilians and the looting of the aid intended for the suffering masses. Experts warned the alleged continued clashes and blockage of humanitarian supplies could complicate the peace agreement. Early this month, Tigray rebel group commander Tedesi Werede said two-thirds of his fighters have left the battlefield as part of the agreement. The peace deal has allowed the passage of humanitarian aid to Tigray and the restoration of telecommunication and banking systems after more than a year and a half. The Ethiopian government says more than 8 million people in the Afar, Amhara and Tigray regions have received humanitarian supplies since the signing of the peace deal. The war in Tigray broke out between Ethiopian government forces and the rebel group in November 2020, displacing millions and killing hundreds of thousands of people. Leaders of warring factions have been meeting on a regular basis to push for the implementation of the peace agreement signed last month. The Nairobi meeting is expected to end later this week. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. A controversial religious leader was sentenced yesterday to nearly three years in prison for insulting South Sudan President Salva Kiir. Abraham Cole Maquette of the Kush International Church, who calls himself a prophet, was arrested in July 2021 for what he called a prophecy from God that said President Kiir and First Vice President Riyak Mashar would not be in power after last year's Independence Day anniversary. The two men are still in office. Defense lawyer Johnson Maik said Cole's team will file an appeal uh, to the decision by a three-judge panel. Sitting in the front seat of a prison transport vehicle after yesterday's court session, Cole insisted the country needs fresh minds to move forward. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. UN agencies are calling for more spending to help Somalia strengthen its resilience against future climate effects and ward off crises such as the current famine inducing drought. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. A looming famine in Somalia 
brought on by the longest drought in 40 years, is destroying livelihoods and threatening to kill many of the 7.1 million people facing acute hunger. A significant increase in humanitarian aid from UN agencies and the international community in response to the crisis so far has prevented the worst from happening. Elkadir Daloum is World Food Program Country Director for Somalia. Speaking in the capital of Mogadishu, he says humanitarian aid alone will not be enough to keep Somalia from lurching from one crisis to another. We must also continue to invest in recovery and long-term sustainable solutions under the leadership of the government of Somalia to protect Somalis against future climate shocks. The current drought It is unusually long, but it is not an isolated incident in a country on the front lines of the climate change. Daloum says the WFP alone has scaled up its life-saving operation in Somalia and is delivering food and nutrition to nearly 5 million of the most vulnerable people. He says the WFP also is working with the Food and Agriculture Organization and UNICEF on joint resilience programs to strengthen long-term food security support. FAO representative in Somalia, Etienne Peter Schmidt, says his agency has provided cash assistance to more than 700,000 people, as well as agricultural help, such as seeds, feed and fertilizer, and other aid to more than 45,000 people. Having said that, and while humanitarians focus on saving lives on averting famine, there is also a critical need to invest in livelihoods, resilience, infrastructure development, climate adaptation, and durable solution to ensure those affected can recover from the ongoing crisis, adapt, and thrive in the future. UN officials agree action must be taken to help communities meet their immediate emergency needs. At the same time, however, they say communities must adapt their livelihoods in the face of a changing climate so they are prepared for whatever the future will bring. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. International human rights organizations and the U.S. are still expressing concern about Egypt's human rights record, but the government dismissed all complaints as political, uh, politically motivated. Ambassador Mushaira Katab, chair of the Egyptian National Council for Human Rights, said human rights are the way to prosperity and a national goal to achieve stability and development, adding that the national strategy for human rights declared by President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi is evidence that Egypt is serious about respecting human rights. VOA senior analyst Mohamed al-Shanawi discussed the status of human rights in Egypt with Mohamed Anwar al-Sadat, a member of the Egyptian National Council for Human Rights. Well, honestly, so far, since the president have been launching the national strategy for human rights, there have been some effort to try to make this strategy a reality. But uh, in my opinion, it's not enough. We haven't seen the implementation, which we would all love to see it happening as promised, whether 
from the permanent committee who is responsible for this or from the different institutions, the committee of human rights in both houses, the Senate or House of Representatives. I think as much as we all have been welcoming this National Council for Human Rights, but I would say that we haven't seen a real implementation for almost a year now or even more. And that's why we are pushing to see more positive move towards achieving this goal. International human rights organizations and the United States are still expressing deep concern about Egypt's human rights record. But the government usually dismisses all these complaints as politically motivated. What's your take on that? the United States or even our European friends and partners, they have their let's, reservations, they have their concern about the human rights situation. We have seen this happening by different statements out of the European Parliament or even Congress and even uh, bilateral meeting in uh, government level. I understand that they would like to see Egypt stable, uh, united, strong, but they have or they have their concern, which I cannot blame them for, since Egypt is also committed uh, by our constitution, our laws, and also international agreement, international convention. So I think as partners, we should somehow listen to all this recommendation, advises. We don't take it as sometimes we see the reaction from our institutions, the parliament or even the government. And we should try to work on this and try to improve the situation for the benefit of Egyptians. I don't see this as a problem and talk together, try to work out something which will serve their interest and their people, which keep civil liberties, uh, people dignity preserved. You have personally facilitated the release of several prisoners of opinion, but there are thousands still behind bars. What's the way out? I think we have to keep pushing and there is this amnesty committee, the presidential pardon committee. They are working on many cases, same as the National Council. And we are actually having a kind of consultation from time to time with our prosecutor general, our state security, justice department. We are trying hard to review cases of those especially older people, younger, uh, those who are uh, not in a good condition health-wise. So we are actually working out a lot of cases, hopefully that they will be released in a matter of weeks, in a matter of months. We don't give up. We believe especially those who have been detained because of their political opinion or their practicing their rights or freedom of expression and so on, or rights of assembly or protest, as long as it's a peaceful one, I think she should not stay in detention and they should be released. That was Mohammed Anwar al-Sadat, a member of the Egyptian National Council for Human Rights, speaking with VOA's Mohammed al-Shanawi. The World Bank is releasing $100 million from Zambia while it tries to restructure nearly $15 billion in debt.
China, the European Union and other foreign creditors. Reuters says the renewed support for Lusaka follows a $275 million World Bank grant to Zambia in October. The bank said the move was to help the country recover from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, high inflation and food shortages from the war in Ukraine and its growing debt crisis. In a statement, World Bank President David Malpass said... Zambia needs debt relief to restore medium-term debt sustainability and to attract the new investment needed for growth and jobs. So far, its bilateral creditors have delayed a final plan for the country under the G20's Common Framework, which works to restructure debt in low-income nations. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Shogun Chung, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Wake up, dance this music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM stations. <laughs>